This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're continuing our discussion of the book of Judges, Shoftim. And we are talking about a very interesting character. His name is Ehud Ben-Gira. Ehud Ben-Gira. So we discussed last week the theme of the book of Judges. There's basically four different things, four parts to it, which is mentioned already in the book of Judges in Shoftim, chapter 2. I just want to read it very quickly. Um, the first part is the children of Israel would do what was evil in the eyes of God, according to the book of Shoftim, and they would worship the Baalim. Now, the Baalim literally means the, the bosses, who were the idols. They would worship idols. Baalim are short for idols, different kinds of idols. They would forsake Hashem, the God of their forefathers, took, you, took them out of Egypt, and they followed the gods of others. We said that they never kicked out the Canaanites. Big mistake. And they learned from their deeds, and they followed their gods. And that's what the Torah is telling us over, the Shoftim is telling us over here. They would forsake Hashem and worship the Baal and the Ashtarot. Now, what are the Ashtarot? The Ashtarot were uh, female idols, uh, which uh, would uh, be uh, either female sheep or goats, other things, worshipped by the Canaanites as the goddess of fertility. So that's uh, the Ashtarot, different kinds of idols also. So different idols they would worship. Ashtarot would also be trees, certain trees that were worshipped. Then what happened, that was the first part, they would worship idols. Second part is the wrath of Hashem would flare against Israel. Hashem would get very angry. And uh, he would deliver them into the hands of their enemies, the plunderers who would plunder them. And whenever they would go out to battle, the Jews would lose. That was the second part of this episode. So first they would sin. Second part, Hashem would forsake them. Then they would cry out to God. And Hashem would send judges to save them. Okay, so then the third part is they would cry out to God, they would do Teshuvah, and Hashem would send judges to save them. So there are four different parts to every episode. First, they would sin with idols, they would leave Hashem, Hashem would leave them. Number two is Hashem would leave them. Number three is Hashem would send enemies. Number four is Hashem would send the judge to save them when they cried out to Hashem. When they cried out to Hashem, they were saved. Baruch Hashem, they were saved when they cried out to Hashem. So we have a similar case over here with Ehud ben Gera. The children of Israel continued to do evil in the eyes of Hashem. Hashem strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, over Israel because they had done evil which in the eyes of Hashem. Now it's interesting because we just finished the parasha yes, last week of Bayera. And Bayera is about Lot. And Lot was the brother-in-law and the nephew of Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu married his brother Haran. Haran's daughter Yiska, also known as Sarai, also known as Sarah. Today we call her Sarah. Her name was changed to Sarah. But her original name was Yiska. The rabbis say Yiska comes with Soche, which is to see with Ruach HaKodesh, to see with uh, Devoah. And in fact, uh, the Torah tells us that she was a greater prophet than Abraham Avinu. Sarah was a greater prophet than Abraham Avinu because Hashem tells Abraham, he says, Kol Sarah, shema Sarah was a higher level. Hashem says to Sarah, listen to, to Abraham. Whatever she tells you, listen to her voice. Rashi says over there, the voice of her prophecy. It wasn't just her voice, it was the voice of prophecy. So she was a greater prophetess than Abraham Avinu which is interesting, and her brother was Lot. Now, Lot originally was a big tzaddik in terms of he would follow Abraham. He also came into exile from his original birthplace, Haran, or Ur-Kastim, a big debate, what was the birthplace? And when his father, Haran, died, and his Abraham married his niece, Sarah, Haran's daughter, Lot says, I'm going to follow my sister, Sarah, wherever she goes, and Abraham, her brother, my brother-in-law, and he followed them, and he was in Egypt, and Pharaoh uh, gave a lot of reward to Abraham. He also gave a lot of reward to Lot. And Lot became very wealthy. And we know uh, wealth sometimes can corrupt someone. Lot becomes wealthy and he has no room for his sheep. And his sheep, his shepherds are robbers. They, 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 uh, they stray their, their sheep into other people's fields for grass. And Abraham says, I got to separate from Lot. He separates from Lot. He says, Lot, wherever you go, you go east, I go west. You go north, I go south. Wherever you go, choose wherever you want. And Lot chooses the beautiful land around Saddam. Now, he doesn't care who lives there. That's the trouble. Lot went with money, and he forgot about God, and he forgot about being Sadiq. And he left Abraham, and he runs with his pasture for his flocks, and he moves to Saddam of all places, the evil place, Saddam. And last week's parasha, Hashem destroyed Saddam. 
with uh, all the potash and all the other things that uh, all the good stuff which is around the Dead Sea today, which is being mined by Dead Sea chemicals. All the chemicals over there came from this episode. Hashem destroys Saddam. And uh, it's interesting, Lot is left with his two daughters. His wife has died. She, she turns into a pill of salt. Uh, a famous pill of salt. You can go and visit the pill of salt. That's what they say. Who knows where it is? And uh, that's what uh, that's the story of Lot. And what happens is he's left with his two daughters. His two daughters decide that the whole world was destroyed. They think the whole world was destroyed. And uh, what happens is they think the world is destroyed. Can you imagine? They think the world is destroyed. And they say, you know what? The older one says to the younger one, let's sleep with our father. He's the only man left. Let's do a big mitzvah and bring children so we can populate the world. And she makes him drunk. That's where we get the phrase, the drunkenness of Lot. He got, he got very drunk. He didn't know what was going on. She sleeps with him and she gets pregnant that night. And then this, she persuades the second sister to sleep with him the next night. He can drunk again. And she calls her son, the older one calls her son Moab. From my father, more of from my father. Horrible story of incestuous story in the Torah, Moab. And from Moab comes this guy, Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, the descendants of Lot are technically our relatives. The Pasha says in Baera that um, after this episode, Abraham went far away from Lot. He separated from Lot. However, the children of Lot eventually, at least one of them, became roots. Ruth, which is the, the daughter of Eglon, king of Moab. So we are talking about Eglon, king of Moab. Eglon, king of Moab was the descendant of Balak. I'm sorry, of Bilam. Bilam was the king of Moab in the time of Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. He also gave, he hired Bilam to curse the Jews. And uh, the rabbis say that Balak, even though he did, he wanted to curse the Jews, he actually offered offerings to God, our God, to, to allow Bilam to pray to God to allow Bilam to curse the Jews. Now, because he offered up those offerings, Hashem says, even though you did a mitzvah, not for the right reasons, you did a mitzvah to curse the Jews. Since you did a mitzvah, after all, I'm going to reward you with a messianic line. So Ruth comes from uh, Bil, uh, from Balak, and Ruth comes from his grandson Eglon. Eglon was the grandson of Balak. Eglon king of Boab. What was Eglon's merit to have Ruth? Here we have. Let's read the story of Ehud. The left-handed, Ehud, the left-handed. So uh, the, the children of Israel cry out to Hashem. Hashem sends up a savior, Ehud, the son of Gerah, who was from the tribe of Binyamin, who was left-handed. Here we find the first case of a lefty in the Torah, which is explicit. Here's Ehud, the, left, the lefty. Now it's interesting because over the years, uh, apart from the modern era, the lefties were considered, I don't know, bad, evil, I don't know, crooked, liars, all kinds of things. And here in the Torah, we have first lefty who is a Sadiq, who is a judge of Israel, and therefore it breaks the stereotype of lefties. The Torah breaks the stereotype of lefties. There's nothing wrong with being a lefty. You can be a lefty and be a, a righteous person. So that's good. Baruch Hashem breaks the barriers for lefties. Here we are. And the children of Israel cry out to Hashem, who's afflicting them? The king of Moab, Eglon. Now remember his name because it comes up later on in Midrash and in Halakha. So I'm going to talk about that as well. Do we have to stand up for the Kaddish or not stand up for Kaddish, stand up for Baruch Hu or not stand up for Baruch Hu? It's here, right here in the story of Eglon, the king of Moab. And with this merit, we're going to see he gets a daughter called Ruth who converts to Judaism, and from her comes her great-grandson, David HaMelech, and the Messianic line. Amazing story of Eglon, king of Moab. So what happens? Eglon, king of Moab, Hashem strengthens Eglon, king of Moab, of Israel. He gathered the children of Ammon and Amalek to join him. Ammon was his brother, uh, Moab's brother from the younger daughter of Lot. And uh, he gathers his brother, Ammon, his brethren, Ammon, the other tribe from Lot, and he gathers Amalek, and he goes and strikes the children of Israel. So he fights a war with Israel, and he troubled them for 18 years. 18 years later, the children of Israel cry out to Hashem. Hashem sends up a savior. Who is the savior? This, this person, Ehud ben Gerah. Ehud ben Gerah, the tzaddik. Uh, from Binyamin, who said he's lefty. Ehud made himself a sword with two sharp edges, a cubit in length, which is 18 inches in length, and he puts it, he, he uh, ties it up onto his right side, onto his right side. So normally in those days, people were righties, 
and the sword, the scabbard of the sword was beyond, would be on the left side. So this is a very important part of the story. He was a lefty and his sword was on his right side, not his left side. And he was chosen so the Jews had to pay tribute taxes to the king of Moab every year. And he, they, he chose, they chose him Ehud, to bring the taxes to Eglon, king of Moab. Uh, also, Tanakh tells us Eglon was very, very fat. He was very obese. And uh, Ehud brings him the tribute, brings him all the taxes from the Jews. And at the end of the ceremony of paying the taxes, he tells Ehud, um, he tells Eglon, Ehud tells Eglon, I have a message for you, for you in private. So the king, obviously, they, they searched Ehud, Ehud when he went in to see the king. And they searched his uh, left side because he was ready. They thought, his, they thought his sword would be on his left side. And really, the sword was on his, on his right side because he was lefty. So they didn't check his right side. Big mistake. The security detail of Eglon, king of Moab, was faulty. There were no x-ray machines in those days. They didn't find his sword hiding under his clothes. And they let him in to see the king alone. The king says, okay. And when uh, Ehud was the only one left with the king, he locks the doors. And he tells him there was no way he could kill the king when the king was sitting down. The king was so fat. So he tells the king. He says, I have a message to you from God. So what happens, the king, Eglon, when he heard the name of God, he gave glory to Hashem and he stood up. And when he stood up, that's when Ehud was able to kill him. He killed him, stabs him in the stomach with a sword and he kills Eglon. But look what the rabbis say about Eglon, the king of Moab. So uh, the, Rashi says over here, Eglon's respect for Hashem was rewarded. Ruth, the ancestress of the Davidic dynasty, was descended from him. So his descendant was Ruth. His daughter was Ruth. He died, but his daughter Ruth becomes Jewish, and she marries Boaz, the judge, the next, one of the judges of Israel. We're going to see. We're going to talk about him. His other name, Boaz, his other name was Is Itzban, Itzban. And we are going to talk about the halacha now. What about standing up for Kaddish? Big debate. Different min hakim. I just want to quote to you. So the Shukhna, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the Sephardi, who is Sephardi from Spain, he says, I just want to quote to you, A person should try the best to run to hear Kaddish. In other words, hearing Kaddish is so important that a person should try and rush to hear Kaddish. Every amen of Kaddish is worth its weight in gold. So it's very important. It's a very big mitzvah to hear and answer the Kaddish. The amens of the Kaddish is very important. Shukana emphasizes to run to hear the Kaddish. Wow. Not to miss a single minyan. We know the word tzaddik is made up of four letters. Tzaddik stands for 90. The tzaddik is a gematria 90. A person that every Jew should hear every day. Uh, 90 amends, 90 amends a day, including the Kaddish, including all the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. Obviously, this applies to men. Women, obviously, are invited, are welcome to hear the Kaddish and answer amen as well. Tremendous mitzvah. But it's a mitzvah that says she has my grandma. Prayers are a positive mitzvah. It depends on time. Women are not uh, uh, included in this obligation. However, they do have to pray at least once a day. Rambam says a woman has to pray once a day. Obviously, it doesn't have to pray with a minyan. And this is a specific to a minyan, Kaddish, and Kedusha is specific to a minyan. So it's interesting, Shukana says, but you should rush to hear the Kaddish and answer Kaddish. And then the Ramah comes along and he says, this Ramah, Ramosha Isilis, who is the famous uh, Ashkenazi rabbi from Krakow in Poland, who wrote his gloss on the Shukana Haruch, and he writes over there, and a person should stand up when they answer the Kaddish, and any other thing which is holy, like Baruch So from there, the Ashkenazim learn a person should stand up. Now, where is the source of this law? The Magen Abraham, who is a gloss on the side of the Shukhan commentator on the Shukhan says, we learn this out from, he says, I got a Midrash. The Midrash says, we learn this out from Eglon, king of Moab. From this Rasha, this evil person, Eglon, king of Moab, had one mitzvah to his name, one credit to his name. When Ehud, the left-handed, said he has a message to God, from God to him, 
he stands up to give glory to God. So the Magen Hamam says, "Yesh We learn from here uh, how much more so. Kalbachom, how much more so? If the non-Jew Eglon, the king of Moab, stood up for the sake of God's name, how much more so we, God's nation, had to stand up when they mentioned God's name? Here we are. This is the source. It's a very weird source. It's a very strange source. Why do we stand for Kaddish? At least, why do Ashkenazim stand for Kaddish? I'm going to just go through the halakha in brief. But this is the source for the custom, the Ashkenazi custom of standing up for Kaddish. We, we all stand up for Kedusha. It's interesting. And uh, Baruch Hu as well. There's also a big debate from Minagi. We're standing up for Baruch Hu. Again, Ashkenazim stand up for Baruch Hu. Some Ashkenazim bow as well. As far as we don't stand, we don't bow for Baruch Hu, nothing. So there's a big discussion over here. But this is the source of this custom of standing up for Kaddish and for Baruch Hu and for Kedusha. The source is no other than Eglon, the king of Moab. Very strange source. He stood up. How did Ehud kill him? The only, the only way to kill him was to make him stand up. How did he make him stand up? He said, I have a message to you from God of Israel. And Eglon stands up because he knows this great God of Israel. He stood up for God. And from there, we learn out how much more so we Jews should stand up when we hear praises to God's name. So Kadish, Kedusha, Baruch Hu. It's funny we just stand up for Kedusha. Ashkenazim stand up for Kadish and Baruch Hu. So let's just go through the halacha. So number one is, this is for Sfardim. For Sfardim who are in a minyan and they're hearing Kaddish Kedusha and they're already sitting down, they do not have to stand. However, if they are standing, they're not allowed to sit in the middle of the Kaddish um, unless, until it gets up to the end of the first five blessed uh, amends of the Kaddish. So they're, they're standing up already, they should not sit down. If they're sitting down already, they do not have to stand. That is the bottom line for Sephardim. Ashkenazim should stand for Kaddishim. And uh, if you want to look, look more into this halacha, it's in the Shulchan Aruch, in the first section of Orachaim, which deals with daily laws. And it's on Siman Nun Vav, which is uh, chapter 56. And it's in the halacha, uh, halacha Gimel. Um, sorry, it's in Halacha Aleph. Halacha Aleph, Aleph Siman Nun Vav, chapter 56 in the Shulchan Aruch. Very interesting. What a source, what a strange source for this halakha. We learn halakha from even from non-Jews, if they do the right thing and they serve God, we learn from them how to behave sometimes. This is one of the glaring examples in Tanakh that we learn this halakha of standing up for Kanish, Kedusha, Baruch from Eglon, the king of Moab. And for this, he was rewarded that Ruth, his daughter, would convert and her great-grandson was King David the head of the messianic line. So in other words, Mashiach is coming from this man, Eglon, whose, great grand, whose grandfather is Balak. And Mashiach is coming from Balak because of the offerings. And Mashiach is coming from Lot, even though he did the wrong thing, he did it for the right reasons, and from his daughters, his holy daughters. Okay, very interesting. Now, Eglon was dead. Now, what happens next? And uh, it says, Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool upper chamber. Ehud said, I have a word of God for you. And he stood up from his chair. He said, Eglon stood up. Ehud then thrust the sword into his belly, fat belly. And Ehud goes out on the porch, closed the doors of the upper chamber behind him, locked them. And he left. Ehud left. He ran away. Eglon's servants came. They saw that the doors of the upper chamber were locked. And they said, he must be enjoying himself in the upper chamber. We're not going to disturb him. They waited for a long time. And he wasn't opening the doors. They took the key and they opened them. And behold, he was dead on the ground. Ehud had escaped while they were waiting. And he escaped to a place called Seira. And when he arrived, he sounded the shofar on Har Ephraim, Mount of Ephraim. The children of Israel descended with him from the mountains. That's interesting. Jews, his children of Israel would go and live in the mountains because their enemies control the valleys. So they would go to the high places just like today. You go to the settlements the different places. The Jewish settlements always built on high ground. And that's a very strategic move to build it on this high ground. He blew the, the shofar and the Jews came out and they made a, an army and he led them. He led them to fight Moab and they conquered the Jordan's crossings into Moab because Moab was on the east side of the Jordan and they did not let anyone cross. So all the Moabites were trapped and they killed them 10,000 men were killed in that war. 
and not a single person escaped. And then the, Torah, the Tanakh tells us there was peace and tranquility for 80 years. So that's the story of Ehud. So uh, this is very interesting. Ehud was a big tzaddik. Ehud was a judge. And he saved Israel from the hands of Moab and Ammon and, and Amalek. And he's from the tribe of Benjamin, of Benjamin. And uh, that's the story of Ehud, the left-handed. We said it broke the stereotypes. And now we're moving on to one of the small judges very quickly. His name was Shamgar ben Anat. And he was one of the small judges. We don't know much about him. And uh, he struck the Philistines. And he too saved Israel. That's all we know about it. It doesn't say how long he was a judge for. It doesn't say much about it. It's just one line. If you look at the, the story in the book of Judges, it's in chapter 3, verse 31. That's all we have about Shamgar ben Anat. One verse, that's it, one pasuk. Now we come to chapter four of Judges and we find the story of Deborah, the great prophetess. She was one of the few prophetesses. We had a female prophets. We had Huldah, Huldah later on, much later on, in time of the last kings of, of Judah and time of Jeremiah. Huldah was the prophetess and we have a gate of the Beta Mikdash was named after her called the Huldah Gate, which is still existing till today. I've actually been up to the Huldah Gate, because if you go into the on into the excavations, not inside the Beit Hamikdash, you're not allowed inside. Jews are not allowed inside, but on the right side of the Temple Mount, there are beautiful excavations. Israelis made some excavations over there. You have to pay a few shekels to get in there, and you'll see the excavation. You'll actually see what the site was like at the time of the Beit Hamikdash. They dug down all the way down to the site of the Beit Hamikdash. And they unearthed all the all the steps going up to the temple. You can actually see massive stones from the temple, which the Romans threw down on the street below, which made a dent in the street below. And you can go up those same steps all the way up to the Hulda Gate. And you can uh, go up there to the Gate of Hulda. And you'll see on the way you'll find there are mikvahot, because uh, you weren't allowed on the Temple Mount those days until you were purified. Actually, the red heifer, that's the mikvah. Anyway, that's Hulda was one of the fantastic prophetesses. And here we have another one, Devorah. Famous Devorah became a very famous girl's name. Not so many girls called Hulda, but Devorah is a very famous name. Devorah had a niece called Devorah. So uh, it's a beautiful name, Devorah. So the children of Israel continue to do evil in the eyes of God. We said this the cycle, the four part cycle. They do evil once Ehud died. And Hashem delivered them into the hands of Yavin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. So here we have another king of uh, Canaan. The Jews left the Canaanites. They, not all of them uh, died. Not all of them were destroyed. They survived. And the ones who survived, the Torah tells us, Moshe Rabbeinu says, get rid of them. Why? Because they're going to be thorns in your side. And they were thorns in our side, both physically and spiritually. The uh, Canaanites who survived were thorns in our side spiritually. Because we will learn from them the bad ways of immorality and idolatry and other things. And uh, there were thorns on our side. Physically, they attacked us when they got strong. They attacked us. And here we have a case of Yavin, king of Canaan, who attacked us. And in general, his army was this nasty guy called Sisera. Now, it's interesting how these mean guys have descendants eventually who convert to Judaism. Amazing. Even Sisera has, the Talmud says, the great great grandchildren of Sisera converted to Judaism. Amazing stories. These are wild stories. Our enemies, just like today, we have Nazis, the sense of Nazis who converted to Judaism and moved to Jewish land. Really wild stories. So here too, we have a descendant of Sisera, who is the general of this guy, Yavin, king of Canaan, who afflicted us tremendously. And uh, here his descendants became Jewish. Anyway, so the general of army of Sisera, he had 900. Iron chariots, amazing amount, like tanks, battle tanks today. 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the Jewish people for 20 years. 20 years of torture in the hands of Yavin and his general Sisera. And Hashem, they, they cry out to Hashem. Hashem sends us this time a judge, a female judge, Deborah. That's where there's a famous line that she would sit under the date palm of Deborah, Tomer Deborah which is a famous book written by Rav Moshe Cordovero, one of the great Kabbalists in time of Arizal, in fact, one of the rabbis of Arizal, 
Moshe Kordaber wrote a book, Tome Devorah, which goes through the 13 attributes of Hashem, um, the 13 which we say every day. Anyway, he, he named the book after this, the palm of the Borah. It's called the palm of the Borah. She would sit under the date palm, and the rabbi said, who is the date palm? There's a big discussion over here. Babanel says that this is not the date palm which it was named after her. The date palm was named after a different Devorah. Who is the different Devorah? We find in the coming parasha, Hayes Sarah, interesting, Hashem sends his servant Eliezer to find a wife for his son Yitzhak. And uh, he finds this girl, Rivka. And Rivka, it says, comes with her maid. And her maid's name was Devorah. Her maid's name was Devorah. And that is, we find a case over here of Devorah. This, this is the Tome of Devorah. So there's different opinions. What was the Tome of Devorah? The date palm of Devorah. One opinion is it was the date palm of the prophetess Devorah, judge Devorah. She would judge under a date palm so there would no, be no questions of Yehud. There'd be no questions of Yehud, which means not to be alone with a man. A woman should not be alone with a man. And a man should not be alone with a woman. So she would um, hold her court underneath the date palm in public. Everyone could see there's no issues of Yehud. And that was, that was great. Baruch Hashem. And that's why it was, a, so there's two opinions. One is the date palm of Devorah, who was the maid, the maid of Rivka. And she was buried over there. Or it was the date palm of the, Devorah because it's uh, the world was a prophetess and a judge, and she was judging at that time under this day palm. Anyway, she was the life, she was the wife, the world was the wife of Lapidot. She was the wife of Lapidot. She was the first judge to be described as a prophet and also a decider of questions of law for the nation. It's amazing. This woman was tremendously great. She was a prophetess and she was a judge. Two things. That's probably more than any other woman. She was a prophetess and a judge. And she was the wife of Lapidot. So Lapidot literally means torches. So the Talmud says, Eshet Lapidot. She was either a woman who made wicks for the tabernacle, for the menorah, Rashi says. Or Ralbag says, uh, Levi Ben Gershon uh, says she was a fiery, energetic woman like a torch. She was on fire. Alternatively, her husband's name was Lapidot. There was another name for Barak, who we're going to see is her general. Her general is Barak. And so that's it. Lapidot was Barak. That makes sense. Why? Because she's traveling with Barak, a general. She is not the general. She is a judge and a prophetess, but not the general. We're not like the other judges. We're also generals. And uh, so what does she do? She was the wife of Lapidot. She judged Israel at that time. She would sit under the date palm of Devorah between Ramah and Beit El on Mount Ephraim, which is right here, not far away from us, in Yerushalayim. And the children of Israel will go up to her for judgment. So now this guy is troubling us with, for, for 18 years, Sisera. Sorry, for 20 years, he troubled us with 900 chariots. And she sends for her husband, Barak, son of Abinoam. And she says, behold, Hashem, God of Israel, has commanded to go and convince the people of Israel to go towards Har Tabor, the mountain of Tabor, take with you 10,000 men from the children of Naftali, from the children of Zebulun. I will come with you to the brook of Kishon. The Sisera, the general of Yavin's army is there. And Hashem says, I will come with you and I will deliver him into your hands. So she's asking Barak to set up an army, Bezrat Hashem. He's going to set up the army and she's going to fight Sisera. Barak says, if you go with me, I will go. If you don't go with me, I will not go. He, she was like his insurance policy. So he wanted her to go with him. And uh, this is interesting that the man is requesting the woman come with him for strength. So in other words, he knew she was a prophetess. He felt he needed the merit of her, her merit to save him and uh, to assure the success of this mission. So you can imagine, he's a man, he's a general, but he needs his wife, Devorah, to come with him wherever he goes to fight this war, to be assured of victory. She is the key to Hashem. She is the guarantor of the success of his army. So she goes with him and she says, I will go with you, um, but you will not be victorious. It's Hashem's victory. So in other words, if I go with you, it's a sign. It's Hashem who's, who's doing the victory. It's not yours. In other words, you're not going to get the accolades or accolades for winning this war, 
Hashem is going to get the accolades of winning this war. So Barak musters Zebulun Naftali and 10,000 men, and Deborah goes with him. And here we have a little side story. They told Sisera that Barak went up to Har Tavor. He mustered all his chariots, 900 iron chariots. And Deborah says to Barak, Arise, this is the day when Hashem has delivered Sisera into your hands. Behold, Hashem is gone in front of you. So Barak descends from Har Tavor with 10,000 men behind him. Hashem panics Sisera and all the chariots and the entire camps by the edge of the sword before Barak. Sisera dismounts from his chariot and he flees on his feet. Rabbi say his heavy chariots were stuck in the mud. There was a stream over there, and the Kishon and his chariots got stuck in the mud, very similar to the chariots of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Amazing. Another miracle Hashem did for us. And uh, Sisera leaves his chariot. It's bogging him down. He can't do anything. And he runs away. And where does he go? So it's a little bit side story over here. He goes to the tent of Hever HaKeni. Now, Keni was another name for Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law was Yitro. He was a Keni. It's an interesting side story I have, personal story that happened to me. Uh, many years ago, I was looking, I, was, I went to the American embassy in Israel. I was a British citizen. I needed a visa to go to America for an interview, for a job interview. And I go to the American embassy and he says, what do you want? Why do you want to go to, to, to America? I said, I'm a rabbi. I'm going for an interview. He says, prove to me you're a rabbi. Do you have a certificate? I said, no. He said, okay. He says, let me ask you some questions. And so here is this uh, Gentile American uh, asking a rabbi questions on the Bible to prove that this guy is a rabbi. And so one of the questions he asked me is, who was the father-in-law of Moses? And I tell him, he's Yitro. And he says, you must be a rabbi because no one else would know that answer. So it's good to remember who is the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu, Yitro. Yitro had seven names. And one of the other names was Hakini. Hakini, Larizal says he was one of the Gilgulim, the reincarnations of Cain. Hence the name Kini has the same letters as the word Cain. So Kini, Cain, Cain. Anyway, Yitro had descendants who moved to Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu, they converted and they moved to Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu. And here we have one of the, one of the descendants who was, uh, it says over here, Heber, Heber the Kini. Heber is like a friend, which is also another name of Yitro, by the way. So his grandson had his name, Heber the Kini. And he camped, he had his tent over there and Sisra ends up in the tent of Heber the Kini, whose home, Yael, the wife of Heber Akini is home. She welcomes Sisera. She gives him food and drink. And he's really tired, all the running away, and he goes to sleep. And then she kills him with a tent peg. So she kills him. The Sedeket kills our enemy with a tent peg. She gave him water to drink, and she gave him milk to drink. And he went to sleep, and he told her to guard the tent. And in the meantime, she killed him, and he died. Okay. So Barak was pursuing Sisera. Yael goes out and tells Barak, come and see. I have the man who you're looking for. He came in and saw. Sisera was dead. And on that day, Hashem made a victory for us against Yahweh, king of Canaan, of all the children of Israel. The hand of the children of Israel became strong against Yahweh until they destroyed Yahweh, king of Canaan. So what happens? So here we have a tremendous story, a tremendous victory on the hands by hands of a woman, a judge, and a prophetess. Um, Devorah and her husband are going to Rashi, uh, husband Barak. And when Benj and she then Devorah sings a song. Now, we don't have many songs in the whole Torah, there's a few. The famous song in the Torah is the song of the Az Yashir Moshe, which we sing every Shabbat in Shul. Az Yashir Moshe, actually, we say it every single day in the morning prayers. We don't sing it so much, but on Shabbat, sorry, but at least we sing it together as a group. Very famous song, Azisha Moshe. We have the song of the Be'er. The Jews sang a song for the well, the well of Miriam. And at the end, we have the book of Hazinu, which is another song. Shem writes, says to write his name, the words of the song on a sefer. From there, we learn the mitzvah of a sefer Torah. So we have a couple of songs in the Torah. And now we have a couple of songs in Tanakh as well. This is the first song in Tanakh. There's, another, there's other songs as well. David Amelech composed the song, which we're going to see later on. 
in the book of Shmuel and Melachim, his other songs. But here we are in the book of Judges, chapter 5 is the song of Deborah, beautiful song. And I'm not going to quote to you the whole song, but if you're interested, please have a look at chapter 5 of the book of Judges and you'll see this whole song. And I'll just give you a little, a few, a few lines over here from verse uh, 24. Blessed by women be Yael, wife of Heber the Kenite. By women in the tent will she be blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a stately saucer she presented cream. She stretched her hand to the peg and her right hand to the laborer's hammer. She hammered Sisera and she killed him basically. At her feet he knelt, he fell, he lay. At her feet he knelt, he fell, where he knelt, there he fell vanquished. Now, this is a very interesting part of the song where uh, Devorah is surmising about Sisera's mother. This is a weird, this is really weird. Why is Devorah talking about Sisera's mother? But it's interesting because we learn a halakha again from Sisera's mother, who was a Gentile woman. We learned a halakha from Eglon, King of Moab. And now we're going to learn an extra, extra halakha from uh, Sisera's mother. Interesting, we don't have her name. But look what it says. So this is Devorah picturing Sisera's mother waiting for Sisera to come back. Through the window she gazed. Sisera's mother peered through the window. Why is his chariot delayed in coming? Why are the hoofbeats of his chariot so late? The wisest of her ladies, the servants obviously, answered her. Are they not finding and dividing loot? A comely captive, two captives for every man. Talk about women, they're dividing up the Jewish women to, the, to these men. Booty of colored garments for Sisera, booty of colored embroidery, colored double embroidered garments for the necks of the looters. So then Deborah says, based on this episode, so may all your enemies be destroyed, Hashem, and let those who love him be like powerful rising sun. So here we have a little bit of a story, a very strange story at the end of the song of Deborah. And uh, from here we learn this word Yevava. Um, the Gemara learns out Yevava, that there's how to blow the shofar on, on Rosh Hashanah. How do we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? The Torah says Teruah. What is a Teruah? So here, the Talmud, based on this Pasuk in Sisera's mother, Yevava, what is Yevava? Is it a Yelala or is it a Yenacha? Is it a yelala, a wail, or is it a sob? <laughs> so that from there we get our versions today of the trua and the shvarim. So the trua is a wail, shvarim is a sob based on the fact what sister and his mother was doing. She was wailing and she was sobbing. So we learn from here how to blow the shofar. It's amazing. We learn from the most unexpected situations. We learn halachot from this, this, these chapters of Shoftim. We learn one halacha is when to sit. You have to stand up for the Kaddish and Kedusha and Baruch And the second halacha we learn out what is a teruah, what the Torah says a teruah. Is it a whale or is it a sob? Amazing. We do both. The whale is the teruah. The Iraqi one is the most correct whale. It's and the sobbing everyone does together is the, is the teshvarim. Two, two. Sounds like a sob. So it's in the form of a sob. So we learn it out from Sisera's mother. She was wailing, she was sobbing, and that's where we learn this trua. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So after the story of Devorah, the land was tranquil for 40 years. We had 40 years of tranquility after Devorah. And what happens? Again, more trouble. The children of Israel do what's evil in the eyes of Hashem. Hashem delivers them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now don't forget that Moshe Rabbeinu had uh, destroyed Midian. He fought a war with them. He took away captives from Midian. And unfortunately, through the, the course of events, Midian had reorganized and regrown. And now they're afflicting us. Midian is afflicting us. And uh, for seven years, they afflicted us. In the face of Midian, the children of Israel made themselves dugouts in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And it happened that whenever Israel would sow the, the wheat or grain, Midian would ascend, as well as Amalek and the people of the east, 
and they would overrun it, they would camp against them, destroy the produce of the land until the approach to Gaza, which the Philistines, they would leave no food for Israel, no sheep, no oxen, no donkeys, and uh, they would take all their cattle and run away. And they would come as abundantly as a locust swarm. They and their camels were countless. They came into the land to destroy it. So there's the Midian and their, uh, their, uh, their, their minions and Amalek as well, our enemies and the people of the east, other tribes from the east would come and uh, trouble Israel, take all their food, destroy the food, take all their cattle and run away. Israel became very impoverished because of Midian. And again, we find a cycle. They sin, they're impoverished, and now they cry out to Hashem. Hashem sends a man, a prophet, to the children of Israel. Now, it's interesting, over here, the Torah does not give us any notion of who this prophet was. Who was this prophet? We don't know. No names. And the prophet says, thus says Hashem, God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I rescued you from the house of Egypt, from the hand of all their oppressors. I drove them away before you and gave you into the gave you the land. I said to you, I am Hashem, your God. You shall fear the gods of the you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you did not heed my voice. As the prophet came to rebuke them, and they stopped doing Teshuvah. And now we come to the next part of the story: an angel of Hashem, Malach Hashem, uh, came comes and sits under the elm tree in Ofra. Now Ofra today is a Yeshuv. The West Bank, it's a very, uh, on a high mountain, Ofra. You can see Ofra is going back in the Tanakh um, 3,000 years, at least 3,000 years of Jewish settlement in the land of Israel in the time of Joshua, 3,000 odd years. And here it is, Ofra was inhabited by Jews in the time of the judges 3,000 years ago. And uh, Ofra belonged to Yoash, his son, Gidon, and if you've heard of Gidon, Gidon was the next judge, Gidon, we're going to talk about Gidon now. His son, Gidon, was threshing wheat at the wine press. So why was he threshing wheat in a wine press, not in a, in a wheat press? Because he was hiding it from the Midianites. If the Midianites would find it, they would take it or burn it. So he was hiding it in a wine press. Now, obviously, it wasn't the time for wine presses at that time. And that's why the Midianites would not even think of looking for it in the wine press. The angel of Hashem appeared to him and said to him, Hashem is with you, almighty hero. This is a very interesting uh, greeting that we find later on in the, in the story of Boaz as well. Hashem imachem, this house, Fargim, uh, start when they get an aliyah to the Torah, they say, Hashem imachem, may Hashem be with you. Uh, the angel of he added a few more words. Hashem be with you, almighty hero, he says. Almighty hero, Hashem imachem. Uh, and uh, Hashem is with you, you mighty warrior. Please, my master. Yes, Hashem, man, you think Hashem is with us. But why are we in this trouble? Where is all God's wonders? Our forefathers told us. Why did Hashem leave us? And he gave us into the hands of Midian. And so Hashem, Hashem answers him, go with, the strength for, go with the strength of yours and you shall save Israel from the grip of Midian. Gidon gets this task. The angel comes to Gidon. Gidon asks the question, why has Hashem forsaken us? And the angel's reply is, you are the answer to this question. You will go with strength and you will save the Jewish people. I have sent you, Hashem says. And uh, Gideon says, I beg you, Hashem. What will I save the people from? <laughs> Behold, my thousand is the most impoverished of Menashe. I'm the smallest of the families of Menashe. I'm the youngest of my father's house. Who's going to listen to me? We're the smallest of the tribes. We're the smallest of the families. Uh, we're the most impoverished of the families. I'm the, I'm the youngest of this, this household. Who's going to listen to him? Who's going to listen to me? Gideon says. Hashem says, I will be with you and you will strike down Midian as if they were just one person. I'm going to make a tremendous miracle and you're going to be the one. Gidon 
uh, makes a test. He says, if I have now found favor in your eyes, perform a sign for me that it is you who speaks with me. I want a sign that it's God, not the stranger who is uh, some charlatan. He puts the meat, he puts, he goes inside, prepares a young goat and matzahs. And here the commentary say it was Pesach time. Gidon was answered. And Pesach time, Midrash says, he, put, he prepares a young goat and matzah from the ephah flour. He put the meat in a basket and put the broth in a pot. He brought it out to the angel beneath the elm and he presented it. The angel of God says to him, take the meat and the matzahs and place them on that rock and pour out the soup. And he did so. The angel of Hashem stretches out the edge of the staff that was in his hand and torched, touched the meat and the matzah. A flame went up from the rock and consumed the meat and the matzahs. So, so that's, that's the, the sign he asked for. He asked for a sign. The food he had brought to the angel to prove was he, was he a real human? Was he not a human? Was he an angel? And this angel, not like the angels in the story of Abraham who ate the food, this angel with his rod touched it and the food went up in smoke as an offering to God. So this is the way Gidon realized that this is an angel. This is not a charlatan. This is not someone making it up. And Gidon realized it's an angel of Hashem. And Gidon says, I've seen Hashem face to face. I've seen the angel of God face to face. I'm scared. Hashem says, peace be to you. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Gidon built an altar to Hashem. And he names the altar Hashem Shalom. Hashem of peace. Hashem is a source of peace. And it happened that night. Again, Hashem appears to him at night. This time not through an angel. Take the young bull that belongs to your father and the second bull, which is seven years old, and break apart the altar of Baal that belongs to your father. So here we see that Gidon's father himself was a Baal worshiper. He worshipped idols. He had built a big altar to Baal. And Hashem says, take the bull that belongs to your father and the second bull, which is seven years old. Smash the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father. Cut down the Asherah tree again. Another symbol of uh, the fertility god of Asherah. And smash it and build an altar to Hashem your God atop the strong rock on a level place. Take the second bull and offer it up as an elevation offering using the wood of the Asherah tree that you will cut down. This is amazing. At the middle of the night, he gets this prophecy. You can imagine this is really taking his life into his own hands. These guys were worshipping idols. Even his father, we know that Terach was the father of Abraham, who was an idol worshiper. Terach was an idol worshiper. And when Abraham smashed his idols, Terah handed him over to the authorities of Nimrod, the king. And the king Nimrod threw him, according to our legends, according to Midrashim, also quoted by the Rambam. The king Nimrod threw him into the burning fire to get rid of him. And a miracle happened and Abraham was saved. But can you imagine Gidon is smashing the idols, surrounded by idol worshippers. What's going to happen next? We're going to see. Gidon took 10 men from the servants. He did as Hashem spoke to him. Imagine you needed 10 men to smash the idol of Baal and to cut down the tree and to build a new altar. He was afraid to do it by daylight because of people, his own relatives would kill him or the people of the city, he did it at night. Now what happens? The people of the city wake up early in the morning and behold, the altar of Baal had been broken and the Asherah tree near it was cut down and the second bull had been offered up on a newly built altar. So everyone said to each other, who did this thing? They searched and they sought and they found out Gidon, the son of Yoash, did this thing. The men of the city said to God, Yoash, bring out your son and we're going to kill him because he broke the altar of Baal and he cut down that share tree that was near it. So Yoash was unlike uh, Terach, the father of Abraham, who handed over Abraham from his own volition. Here Yoash is, is a tzaddik in terms of he didn't hand over his son. And he gave him a tremendous defense. What was his defense? Yoash said to all of those who were standing near him, you are fighting for Baal? You will save Baal? You, a human being, has to protect God? Your Baal? Let Baal fight for himself. If, if Baal is a god and Baal has power, let him take vengeance on the person who smashed his altar. Wow, what a great defense. It's amazing defense. Uh, let the Baal who is aggrieved take vengeance on Gidon, not you. Why should you judge it for the Baal? Let the Baal take vengeance. Amazing. It's a beautiful defense. Amazing defense. And 
Interesting. So as a result of his father's successful argument, the commentaries say, Gidon received a nickname, Yeru Baal, which means let Baal take up his own grievance. Let Baal see and take up his own grievance. And that was the new name of Gidon. Gidon had a nickname, Yeru Baal. Let Baal fight for him. Yeah, let Baal fight for himself. Not Let uh, Gidon not uh, be uh, killed by human beings. Let the Baal fight for himself. Okay, so now Gidon has this mission to go and fight Midian. And who's with Midian? All of Midian, Amalek, and all the people of the east, all the other tribes came. They crossed the Jordan, encamped in the valley of the of Israel. Israel. They camped in the valley of Israel. And uh, the spirit of Hashem clothed Gidon. He blew the shofar. The family of Abiezer came and mustered after him. He sent messages to Abinashe. He too was mustered after him. He sent messages to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they ascended to confront the enemy. So it's interesting. He said in those days, each tribe was for itself. There was no, there was no national force. There was no national uh, country. Israel was like a United States in a sense. Separate states of tribes fighting for each other, for themselves. There was no United States. There was not United States. There are 12 states, 12 tribes, but they were not united in any sense. So there's, it, it takes a judge, it takes a general to unite as many as he can in times of trouble. So local tribes would unite against the common local enemy. But you don't find all the tribes united until much later. We're going to talk about that. We'll get to that. The Legish Begiva episode. And Gidon says to God, I want signs from you, Hashem, that we're going to win. Okay, so that we're going to move on to next week. But right, Hashem, please join me. Today, just to encapsulate, we saw two Gentiles who we learned Jewish law from. Eglon, king of Moab, who stood up when Ehud said, I have a message to you from God. He stood up. We stand up for Kaddish, Kedusha, and Baruch Hu. stand up based on that story of Eglon, Melech Moab, who said his daughter was Ruth. And he was Zohar, the Mashiach is coming from him because he stood up for God. Hashem should also bless us when we stand up for God, that the Mashiach should come from us as well. Uh, number two, we have the story of Sisera's mother who was wailing when she heard the, the news of Sisera. And from those wails, we learn how to blow a trua. Is it a sob or a wail? We do both. Uh, today, we call it a trua and a yeah, a shwari. Okay, so I'm going to leave you, uh, everyone, tonight. Have a good night, good week. Uh, uh, blessed Shabbat uh, from the city of Yushalayim, Yerach Kodesh. Hashem should rebuild it completely. I wish you all Shabbat Shalom, Barach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.